church again, good morning. And uh, I want to just repeat what Pastor Paul said, a big thank you to your support and your prayers and your gift to us. Um, it's, there's, this is a tough time for everybody. And I know people in ministry, pastors have left the church. Uh, they've given up, they've retired. They're like, this is even hard for them. And so uh, I've not yet felt to that point yet. I've felt very supported by this church and, and encouraged. So thank you for your support. Uh, I do want to ask you to continue to, to pray for those who are struggling with various health issues going on and challenges in this church. I know you are a praying church, so stay on those knees. Keep those prayers going to our Lord. Hey, grab your Bibles. Open them up to the book of Genesis. I'm sorry, Exodus. We're done with Genesis, aren't we? We're in Exodus now, Exodus chapter 13. As you're turning there, let me ask you something. I, I know a lot of you do some traveling and maybe not so much as of lately, but when you travel, I don't know how many of you use a GPS of some sort or other. Um, and when you're driving and you put the address in and all of a sudden GPS is telling you to take a route and you're looking at that route, you're going, that doesn't seem right. That seems longer than what it would normally be. It seems different than what it should be going. I don't know if I trust this GPS or not. I don't, I don't know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I don't know if you've ever been there before. But in those moments, what did you do? Did you turn around? Did you keep going? Did you like, I'm going to put the address back in again because I think this uh, very smartphone is not very smart right now. But what did you do? You know, I know maybe some of you, it's not so much about having your GPS in front of you when you're driving down the road, but maybe just decision-making right now going on in your life. Whether it may be with your job, a place of employment. Maybe it's with a relationship, something that's going on at home in your family or with your spouse. Have you ever felt like God is saying, this is the way I want you to go? And you're like, but God, that doesn't make sense with what I feel what I should be doing. Do you ever feel like you're getting sort of mixed directions here? And just like, what do I do? God, you want me to trust you in this world right now? But boy, this world is crazy. Right? So when we look into the scripture here, we, you know, last week we just read about Moses and the 10 plagues. And if you remember that, it was like a 20-page sermon. I usually have 10-page sermons, and I was like trying to jam it all in. But it's like, there was so much good stuff. What do you do with that, right? Well, you make it into two weeks. I don't do that. But anyway, we looked at those 10 plagues, and those plagues, those were more than just mere magic. It wasn't enchantment of any sort of type. It was more than just devastating plagues. This was all about God's power and God's victory over all the false gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And when we finish reading that story, I mean, how can we not step back and say, we have an almighty God, El Shaddai Yahweh, who is to be worshipped and to be stand here and like stand in awe. How can we not do that? You have to believe that as the children of Israel, as they left Egypt, they had to be impacted with an awesome God. And as they left, thinking about how awesome their God was, they had to be leaving probably in a moment of excitement and wonder. They're like, yes, we're free. Where are we going to go? Or, yeah, man, we've seen the hand of God, but where's he taking us and what is he going to do? There was probably this excitement and wonder mixed together, right? And as believers of Jesus Christ, and here this morning, if you place your faith in the Son of God and Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. You're free. You've been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
You're no longer a slave to sin. And we've been forgiven of our sins. We've been given new life in him. We've seen the hand of God and the hand of God beckons us to say, follow me, follow me. Well, like the early disciples, if you ever read through the gospels, it's fun to look at how they did it. They dropped everything. They dropped their nets. They walked away from their tax collecting. And the question is, you know, will we do the same? Will we follow him? What if life gets tough? What if the challenges before us are almost too challenging? Do we turn back around and go where it was comfortable? Or do we trust him? Do we trust him when the path before us is questionable? How can we worship him on Sunday and then choose to live another way on Monday? As a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm called to worship him on Sunday and follow him on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. But some don't. In your Bibles, let's look at Exodus chapter 13. And Exodus chapter 13 will begin in verse 17. It says this, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory. Even though that was the shortest route in the promised land, God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. I love this. God didn't take them down the main road. Hey, this is the fastest route. This is the main road. But we're not going that way. Why not, God? I mean, God knew the shortest route did what? It went to the Philistine territory. These people, two million strong, was not a bunch of warriors. They were slaves, freed slaves. And although some of them could probably fight, they're going to go into Philistine territory. God's like, nah, they'll get beat up. They'll get defeated. And they'll turn around. They'll run back to Egypt. I know it's the shortest route, but um, it's a little scary. And when I was preparing this sermon, it took me back to last year to our Smoky Mountain vacation trip when we went up that back dirt road to the cabin in the dark, and it was a super scary moment. It was the shortest route, but it was the scariest route. And in that moment, I'm sitting there going, yeah, that's, that's why I turned around too. I don't want to go that way. God knew they would turn around as well. Look at verse 18. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Then the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. God led them, listen to this, in a very confusing manner. If you looked at it on the map, it's like a bunch of squiggly lines where they're going. Scripture says he led them in a roundabout way. Now, when I read the word roundabout, you know what the first thing that came to my mind? That. Okay, that's a roundabout to me. Okay, now I don't know about you. Maybe we should take a vote this morning. Those who hate roundabouts, those who love roundabouts, okay? We could, we could vote, tally it up, but then I probably wouldn't count them until next week. So just, that's a really bad joke right now. Uh, next month, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bad joke, and I should have never done that. We really do need to pray for our nation. This is, after you get done with this message today, I pray that this helps, okay? But we're not going to vote. But here's the thing. When I see that roundabout, I, I look at it, and I'm going, you know what the shortest distance is a straight line? I learned that in elementary school, right? So the roundabout to me, if you feel like me, I feel like when I get in a roundabout, like I'm going to get sucked into like a whirlpool and I'm just going to get lost and keep driving in circles. And so to me, this is what the children of Israel were doing. God's like, I'm going to take you in a roundabout way. And like, yeah, we feel it. Like we've passed that rock before. I remember seeing that mountain. Okay. And, and here we are a wandering, right? But here's the thing. That's the plan. That was God's plan. 
And we have to ask that question. Why does God sometimes lead us in roundabout ways in life? Why does he take us one direction and then another direction is, doesn't make sense to me, right? But let's remember a, a well-known scripture that I've quoted before, and that's from Isaiah 55 eight. God says what? My, my thoughts are not like your thoughts, and nor are your ways like my ways. Uh, you know, whatever our thoughts are, God's are probably different. Whatever my way is, God's are probably different, right? And he's like, just trust me on this. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, we walk by what? We walk by faith. Although all through our life, we've grown up what? Learning to trust our senses. Hey, did you see that? Hey, look at this. Look at this. Do you see this? Wait, did you hear that? Did you? I heard it. So it must be. Taste this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, now that I've tasted it, now that I've seen it, now that I've heard it, I believe it is true. Right? That's how we've grown up. But then we look at Scripture, and what does Scripture say? That we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. Scripture, basically, as a follower of Jesus Christ says, instead of believing because you can see it, touch it, taste it, hear it, you're going to believe even though you can't even see it. We're called to trust God's ways more than our ways. We're called to trust something we cannot see over something we do see. That's the life of a Christian. Walking by faith means trusting that God's ways are always at work, even when we can't see them at work. Walking by faith means that this is based on God's character and promises, not so much on my gut feelings. Walking by faith means I'm prepared to trust no matter what when I'm not permitted to see. That's walking by faith. And these people are walking, literally, they are walking by faith. And some of them are like, well, we'll just follow Moses because Moses is following God. And some are like, why are we following? And so there was probably a split decision amongst people that were walking that day saying, I'm walking by faith. I'm walking and I'm not enjoying this. I would rather not do this, right? So there was probably a little bit all over the place. We don't know, but what we do know is this. They followed Moses. As we read on in Scripture, in verse 20, it says, The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. They literally stopped on the edge of the wilderness. Lush green, brown, desert wilderness. And they camped right there. And that's usually what we do too, isn't it? It's like we got this big decision to make. I'm not sure what to do, but it's really comfortable right here, and it's not so comfortable over there. So what do we do? We just camp where we feel comfortable. It's all good, right? Why don't we just stay here? This is good. This is good, right? Well, they stopped for a little bit, maybe reconsidering everything, question mark looming over top of their head. I don't know. But they needed something to sort of push them forward, and they got it. Check out what happens in verse 21. It says, The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and provided a light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. This pillar was like a a physical form of God, a theophany is what they would call it. And why did he put himself there and that pillar like that he did? I believe for a few reasons. I'm not going to say these are the reasons. I'm going to say this is what I felt when I looked at this. He was giving Israel hope to, to see God because they needed to know I'm not alone. I believe he showed them this is the path to take. Wherever that pillar went, that's where we're going to go. Good, because I need to know where to go in life, right? 
He gave them protection from the enemy. We need that protection and security too. Something in life that we need. Think about this. We don't want to be alone. We don't want to be isolated. We want to know that where we're going in life is the right direction. We want to know that we're going to be okay, that we're protected and secure. And I believe that pillar and the cloud provided all of that. He gave them reassurance. You're going in the right direction. You know what that is? That's called confidence. And when you have confidence, you can take that step forward. A lot of us stop in life and we doubt in life. Why? Because we're lacking confidence. And God's like, I'm with you. Let's go. Inspires them to worship. Look at chapter 14. The Lord gave them instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pietrio between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore of Baal-Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They're trapped in the wilderness. Verse 4. Once again, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. He'll chase after you. If I've planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. So they've moved. They're going. Now we're going to do a U-turn. We're going to come back. We're going to camp by the sea. Why? Why? I don't understand why, why we're still moving around different directions. Now why here? Why now? Maybe one, it was a beautiful spot, right? We're right by the sea. Who doesn't want an oceanfront view, right? So they're, they're camped there, beautiful side. Maybe it's, maybe it's to confuse the people so that they'll trust God more. Maybe it's to get Pharaoh some false hope. So here's my answer to all three of those things. Yes, yes, and yes. I think he did all those things. And it would show Pharaoh and the people basically that God is awesome in his power. I almost sensed it was like one of those things where, where you ever play a trick on a kid or maybe you've got a dog or a pet and you dangle something and they jump for it and you pull it away. Or, you know, you tighten the string and you pull it and, they, and you play that trick over and over again. It's like, ah, they fell for it again. Do you ever do any? I'm, don't admit to it, right? Some of you have done that before with somebody. You know how to tease them. You give them all of them. Ah, I got them again, right? I sort of feel like God's doing that with Pharaoh, like, <laughs> got him again, yeah? I'm going to have the people camp right by the sea. They look like they've been confused. Pharaoh's going to say, man, these people are just wandering, and now they parked themselves with the red seat of their back. I'm going to come in. Got him, right? But as we read in verse 4, this is God's plan. Now, don't answer this. Don't shake your heads because I'm going I'm to ask you a question. You may or may not agree with me, but I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you the question. I'm going to give you the answer. Here's the question. Can you argue with God's plans? Yes or no? Now I'm going to give you the answer. My answer is yes. Yes, you can always argue with God's plans. God's got a plan. You can argue with it. You going to win that argument? No. There's the no part. No, you're, not, you're never going to win an argument with God. Can you change his plans? Nope, can't change them either. You can't argue, you can argue with them, but you'll never be able to change them. You're never going to win that argument. And what we find out here is, why does he do this? Here's his plan. I'm going to display my glory. So this is why you're doing this, God? You want to display your glory? Yes, for generations to come. Look at us now. Look how far this was this past in past history. We're still talking about the awesome, powerful glory of God. And the people needed to see this. They need to be reminded that their God is awesome. Their God is powerful. So God took Moses from this burning bush, right? 
and leading sheep to now a pillar of fire and two million people around him. Moses had a big plan, but God's plan was bigger. And so he followed God's plan. It seemed odd, out of the way, challenging, confrontational for sure. And do you think maybe he was questioning his calling as he's standing there by the Red Sea? Probably. He's probably sitting there going, now why did I do this again? Last week after church, Joseph Green asked me this question. He said, how did you become a pastor? Did you go to school? Did you take classes? You know, most of you know Joseph. You know he had a lot of questions. And I was like, let me think about this. Past experiences. See, when I grew up, everybody said I was going to be a farmer or a pastor. And I said, no way. I said, I was... I'm going to be a math teacher until my senior year in high school and I took analytic geometry, trigonometry, and then I decided, maybe not math teacher. And so what am I going to do? I went to college. I'm sitting there. My buddy, my roommate, he's like, what are you going to do? Business? Yeah, make money. Business. I'll be a business major. So I go into college to be a business major because math teacher wasn't going to work, right? First semester, sitting in chapel. Dr. Kessler's on the stage. He's teaching chapel, and boom, it hit me. So that guy said, Rex, you ain't nothing but Jonah. You've been running away. I've been telling you all along what you're going to do. You're going to go in the ministry. You're going to be a pastor. And I'll never forget that day. It was definitely a calling. And I'm sitting there and I think about that, that God's called me to do this, just like he called Moses to do things, just like he's called each and every one of you to serve him in some form or manner, to follow him and to live out the calling that he's given you. Maybe not full-time ministry, but definitely ministry. In the book of Luke, chapter 9, Jesus is talking to all his disciples, and he said, you got to follow me. And what happened with some of those disciples? Oh, well, I can't today, Jesus. I need to go take care of my, my friends over here. Well, I can't, Jesus. i got these things at home I need to go do. All these people started coming up with excuses as to why they couldn't follow Jesus. And Jesus is like, listen, I want 100%. I don't want 50-50. I don't even want 10% of you. I want all of you. A lot of people are like, but you know, this living for Jesus, this following him, this obeying his call thing, it can get rough at times. Because didn't you say, Jesus, pick up your cross? Cross sounds painful. But here's the thing. There is no crown without a cross, right? Part of following Jesus is understanding this. You want to be a part of his glory. You want to see the crown. You want to experience what he's called you to experience. Part of that experience is painful, but he's always promised to be with you. He's always promised to help you through it. When you look at Moses calling at the burning bush, you, know, you think about this, standing before the presence of God, he sees a bush on fire. And for some of us, some of us, if that was us, and we're like, we see a burning bush and God starts talking, we're like, man, don't get too close. I do not want to catch fire. I'm going to put on my flame retardant clothes because the last thing I want to do is catch fire because then I'm going to have to go places I may not want to go and say things I don't want to say. And some of us fully understand this. We know that if you're going to live for Jesus Christ, it will get toasty. There are times when you are going to say, I'm following you, Jesus, and people are not going to like it. Let me ask you this. Who promised you a peaceful kingdom on earth? Did Jesus say, oh, you're a Christian now. You're one of my followers. It's all flowers and roses and and rainbows, and it's going to be so beautiful. He never once promised that. He told us this earth is going to decay. 
This earth is spinning in the wrong direction. Someday I'm going to come back in the second coming and I will renew this earth. Listen, I don't care what policy we think we can come up with. Not that I'm going to preach against a Green New Deal. But understand this. We cannot make the earth new again. It's decaying. Only one can make the earth new again. That is Jesus Christ. So what we don't need is a policy. What we do need is a Savior. And that Savior says, I will make it new. And in the meantime, I'm going to make you new. And he put us as new believers in Christ in this decaying world to be light, to be salt. And it will get toasty. We will face opposition. But we got to trust him. In this moment, we are like those sheep listening to the, the voice of the shepherd. Moses had a bunch of sheep. Now he's got a bunch of people, right? The question is, will they follow him? Will they believe what he's going to say? Are they going to be in 100%? Are they going to travel down this road of obscurity and saying we trust where we're going, right? John chapter 10, verse 27. I want to throw this scripture in there because, again, as I think of Moses, who was a shepherd and shepherding these people, I want to look into the New Testament. Here's Jesus who calls himself the good shepherd. And what does he say? He says, my sheep, and he's talking about us, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. If you're in here this morning, you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved, you are one of his sheep, okay? And he says, my sheep, listen. Listen means to actively hear the word of God. And if I'm not hearing the word of God and putting it into practice, I'm not listening. There's a big difference between hearing and listening. Oh, I heard what you said. I listened to what you said. Hey, son, can you wash the dishes for me? Hey, why didn't you wash the dishes? Did you hear me? Oh, I heard you. But he didn't listen, right? Because I said, would you wash the dishes for me? Yeah, but he didn't do it. So he wasn't listening. He heard it. A lot of us hear the words of God. Not many of us listen to the words of God. We need to listen to the words of God, actively living them out. Not just listen to voices, the news, politicians, elite Hollywood celebrities, not your favorite podcast. The question is, am I listening to the voice of God? And some of you in here are saying, well, how do I listen to the voice of God? Here's how it works. You open up your word of God and you say, Heavenly Father, you just pray, okay? Heavenly Father, help me hear you today. And then get quiet and spend time reading through his word. And I believe God speaks every time, every time. It may be just something real small. It may be something that just overpowers you. It's like, wow, I could spend all day reading. Other days, it might be just really short. That's it. But he will speak. And we just need to listen, which means I'm going to yield my obedience to his voice. So the people are like sheep, right? We're listening to Moses. And then, you know, the question is, are they going to follow? Are we going to follow? Maybe I should ask that question. Jesus went on to say what? My sheep listen to my voice and I know them. I know them. You know, whenever I say, I know them. You know what comes to my mind? I know him. Santa Claus, Elf, that movie. Santa, I know him. Okay, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. That's how warped my mind is. I'm getting into God's word and all of a sudden I'm thinking Will Ferrell and Elf. Okay, it's not good, okay? It's like, Lord, repent, help me me understand this. Okay, get that out, right? But that's what comes to my mind is like, I know him. And you remember the excitement on, on Buddy's face? He's like, I know him. Let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus Christ? Because here's the thing. He knows you. Our Heavenly Father, God, knows each and every one of us. And I would love to say his face lights up whenever he talks about us. When he calls out one of your names, he's like, I know him. I know her. He knows us. Other people maybe don't know you that well. God knows you. 
God knows you. He sees you right where you're at. And he gets you. He understands you. A lot of times people are like, they just don't understand me. God's like, I do. I understand you. I know you're right where you're at, right? And then what does he say? He says, my sheep listen to my voice, right? And they what? They follow me. We follow. We join Jesus. It basically says, I'm taking his side. There's two sides. Which side are you going to take? Well, I'm going to follow Jesus. So I'm choosing his side. I'm going to take his side. I'm going to join up with what he's doing and believe what he's believing. I'm not responsible for what my buddy here. I want him to choose the same side I'm going, but he's got to make his choice. And I'll do all my power to encourage him to make the right choice. But he still has to, or she has to make the right, their own choice. In the meantime, Pharaoh, while all this is going on, and these, Moses is taking these people like sheep, right? In the, main, in the meanwhile, look what Pharaoh's doing. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4. Pharaoh harnessed his chariot, called up the troops, took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. Verse 9, the Egyptians chased after them all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all of his horses, chariots, charioters, troops, basically the whole army. You know, so here's the thing. God's people like, hey, we're out of here, right? We're going. We are free. I don't know about you, but the day you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and you're like, man, I'm free. You think Satan stopped pursuing you? No. He's always going to try to cause you to trip up, especially if you are really following him and listening and you're living it out. You are a threat to Satan. So he will still try to take you out. Pharaoh's like, wait, what did I do? Let those people go. I'm going to pursue those people and get them back in the same way that we're always going to be pursued. Look at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up. And they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaken. And they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, why would you bring us out here to the die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Ouch. Man, weren't they all happy before? Yeah, we're free. We're worshiping God. And all of a sudden, they're pinned up against the Red Sea. And they're like, why would you bring us here? You're an idiot. We don't like you. Right? That's what it's coming down to. Pinned up against the Red Sea, this following God idea, suddenly did not sound like such a great thing after all. This God that they praise, El Shaddai, Almighty Yahweh. Now they're like, and we don't like this way. And they're complaining. I don't know about you, but have you ever had those moments when you just want to change teams? Maybe, maybe the team you cheer for has been struggling to win, and you're like, man. And then we're not talking about one season. We're talking about season after season, right? And I'm not going to pick on any Detroit fans or any fans um, of any certain flavor or city, but there are some of you that have been struggling. Listen, I grew up a Chicago Cubs fan, okay? So understand that. Before the World Series, there was like 99 years of nothing but losing, Okay? And so I understand there's times when it's like, man, I don't want to talk about my team. My jersey is in the back of the closet. I don't want to talk about what happened the other day or the other night. Not going to talk about it, right? But you still, because you're a fan, you still cheer, right? You never change sides. And in this situation, you sort of think about it. Listen, I've chosen God's side, and I feel like I'm losing again. 
Maybe I should just quit, right? Change sides. I'm going to go to the other side, right? No. Stay the course. Stay the course. Do not give up. I, I really feel this is so relevant today because we find ourselves in dangerous places with no easy escape. And what we need to do is we need to cry out to God. It's okay. Because why? Because look at what Psalm, the Psalm 46 one says. God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in trouble. He wants to help. And today it seems like what I've seen is I've seen people who grew up in the church, people who started coming to church, people who are excited about their faith. And then the pandemic, like Pharaoh, pins us up against our homes and against our faith. And all of a sudden, some of us are like, I don't believe this stuff anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to talk about Jesus anymore. And they walk away from their faith. And I'm sitting there going, why? You're switching sides on me. Why would you choose the other side, right? Why would, you, why would you change that now? I don't get it. What's going on? Church, listen. This is the principle we all have to understand. Faithfulness and faith go together. You can't have one without the other. Well, I've got faith in God. Then you need to be faithful. So you cannot say, I've got faith in God and not be faithful. They go together. But there's a lot of people who say, I can have faith, but I don't need to live it out. That's wrong. That's false. They go together. God is strengthening the faith muscle of these people right now. The children of Israel, they're like, hey, I don't know. We don't know if we want to pray and worship God anymore because here we are pinned up against this Red Sea. You remember what happens to them in the land of Goshen with the plagues? They're in the land of Goshen. Here's Egypt. The plagues came and all, a lot of the plagues went, did what? They went right over here to Egypt. And the children of Israel over here in Goshen are like, oh, ouch, that looks like that hurt. Ooh, Man, God's protecting us. He's a good God. Yes, we like Yahweh. And then what happens? They get out here in the wilderness. Suddenly they're pinned up against the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his whole army's coming. And all of a sudden, their faith muscle's a little bit weak. And they're like, do we trust God or not? Are you kidding me? Do you not remember what happened with the 10 plagues? Do you remember your victorious God? What's going to happen here? Take a look. Verse 13. But Moses told his people, don't be afraid. This is a great verse. You might want to underline this verse. Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians see, you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. I love it. Don't be afraid. Get your emotions in check Moses had no idea how God was going to take care of the situation. He just knew this. God will help. That's all he knew. So don't be afraid. God's got this. Stand still, he said. You can't do anything. Just, stand, just stop. Big stop sign, right? Moses told the people to just stop. This is often the Lord's direction in times of crisis. When we are panicking and we are wanting to run everywhere and do everything, God says, hey, will you just stop? Stand still. God's got this, right? I read this um, in a book. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. It says this. Despair will cast you down, keeping you from standing. Fear will tell you to retreat. Impatience will tell you to do something now. Presumption will tell you to jump into the Red Sea before it's parted. Isn't that good? That's what happens when our emotions get out of whack and we lose focus on who God is. Yet God told Israel, as he often tells us simply, is this, stop. Watch the Lord rescue you today. 
Remember who you rescued you before? Yahweh. He's going to do it again. And by the way, this is a rescue mission. This is not an escape. Because see, if it's an escape, guess what? We get the glory. I escaped it. Good for you. You get the glory. I was rescued. Good for he who rescued me. He gets the glory. This was a rescue mission, not an escape. The Lord fought for them. So just stay calm, right? Let's look what happens. Verse 16. God tells Moses to pick up the staff, raise your hand over the sea, divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Dry ground. Like, how does that work? This is a sea. This isn't a little brook, a little creek, a little, you know, one or two inch pity paddle of water that they just like, oh, it parted. Won't take long to dry. This is a sea. And they're going to walk through on dry ground, right? Meanwhile, this is important. Look at verse 19. The angel of God, the angel of God, this is important, who had been leading the people of Israel, moves to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. God stands between us and our enemy. Do you know why he does that? Scripture tells us he is what? He is our shield. He is our shield. We often have little idea how much God does to protect us from unseen things. We don't realize until maybe later down the road, it's like, wow, if I would have taken that route, if I would have done this, this bad thing could have happened to me. God was looking out for me. Or oftentimes we'll say, wasn't it a coincidence that this happened? It's like, God was your shield in that moment. Verse 21. Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. What did that look like? You can only imagine, right? Can you imagine standing there just seeing the walls of water piled? This is a sea. You thought the plagues were awesome? Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. As the sea parts and wind blows through and dries the ground, and the children of Israel begin to move through. And as they move through, the chariots, Pharaoh's army, they come in hot pursuit. Oh, they're chasing right behind them. And as they're chasing them through, you sort of wonder what's going to happen. They're going to catch them? Is it going to slow down? The chariots' wheels start to break. Hmm. God starts what? rescuing them as he said he would. Uh, Suddenly the Egyptians are like, let's get out of here. This is what the Bible says. The Egyptians said this, the Lord is fighting for them. The Lord's fighting for them. See, even those who don't believe in God recognize when God's working with you. Oh, trust me. There are times, some of you students, you go to school and you're like, you get picked on for your faith. It's going to happen. You will be persecuted for your faith. Some of you at work, adults, may be persecuted for your faith. But who's the first person they come to when they are struggling, when life is going horrible for them? They come to you like, hey, can you pray for me? You know why they're coming to you? Because they've seen God working you. Oh, you might be persecuted now, but they're going to come to you because they know you worship a living God. It says, when all the Israelites reached the other side, Moses raised his hand and the, and the sea, as instructed by God, 
collapsed on the Egyptians in the chariots, and not one single person survived. Verse 30, let's read this. That is how the Lord, what? Rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Let me read that last part again. This is important. They put their faith in who? The Lord. It took 10 plagues and a Red Sea rescue, another mighty act of God. These people were amazed. They stood in awe. They put their faith in the Lord. Will you do the same? Right now where you're at. This has been a Incredible year, hasn't it? I was going to say week. But it's been an incredible year. We may not know who our next president is for a while. We may not know whether a virus is going to be taken care of or not. I don't know if I'm tomorrow's like, oh, you got to be in quarantine. Why not? Come on. We don't know. There's a lot of unknowns, right? And it's like, mm, what do we do? We're like pinned up against the Red Sea. Here's what we do. We keep trusting God. He's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful today and he will be faithful tomorrow. But we have to trust him. Worship team, would you come forward, please? You know, I was growing up as a kid. um, We had a Buick. My dad liked Buicks. And the Buick we had was one of those big, wide Buicks. They don't make cars like they used to. I'll just say that. I mean, this, you know, everybody's like, oh, look at the sporty cars today. These cars were like, they were like a beast, man. They They were solid. Big, right? So in the back seat of our car, you know, there's a big back window, big long seat and floor. And the three of my brothers, us, when we would travel different places together as family, my sister and two older brothers, they were married and out of the house. So then we got the, myself and my two other brothers, we travel somewhere. And if it's a long distance, we're like, oh, I'm going to lay down on this one, like a vacation. Somebody laid in the back window, somebody laid in the, on the, the bench, and then I would lay on the floor because I'm the youngest. So I got the floor, right? But then dad would pump the brakes, I think on purpose. And what would happen? The brother on the window would roll onto the brother on the, and then they would both dogpile me on the ground, right? Like, oh, we're sorry, <laughs> right? Now, I know how that works. I get it now, right? And a lot of times, you know, we would just goof around and play back there. Or if it was just me, a lot of times I was a sleeper. You know, I get in the back seat and I was, I was like, I don't know, I have a snack. And I'm out, right? I never once that I can ever remember, and I can remember a lot of things in that back seat of that car, but I don't ever remember saying, hey, Dad. Are you sure you're on the right road? Hey, Dad, I don't know about the route you're taking, but I think I've got a better route. Hey, Dad, did you just miss your turn? Dad, I never did that. You know why? Because I trusted my father. He's the one behind the steering wheel. I'm in the back seat. Never tried to ask those kind of questions of my father. I just trusted him. I never tried to take the steering wheel. I was too young to drive, right? How many of us in our life right now are trying to tell God to scoot over so we can take control? Why don't we just trust our Heavenly Father? He's got this. He's driving us right now. And sometimes we feel like we're going all over the place in a roundabout way. I get it. I feel that way too. Trust Him. He's a good, good Father. Did we not just sing that? We can trust Him. Would you stand, please? Let me close with this verse. Verse 13 and 14. Don't be afraid. Just stand still. Watch the Lord rescue you today. The Lord himself 
will fight for you. Just stay calm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need these words today. As we are living in a roundabout world, maybe confused sometimes by even your leading us, help us to trust you. Help us to stand still, to stay calm, to place our faith in you, an amazing, awesome, triumphant, victorious God. Lord, you've rescued your people time and time again. So God, I believe if for us here at this church, those watching online, if we've got something we need to be rescued from, I believe you are the ultimate rescuer. It may be a rescue mission that's going to take place today. It might take place next month. We don't know, but we do know you are faithful. So God, we place our faith in you. God, if we here this morning said, God, you're almighty. You love us. But I have sinned in my life. I've made mistakes. God, you are a faithful God that you will forgive us of our sins if we just ask for forgiveness. So right now, God, where we're at, we may need to be asking for some forgiveness right now, right here. So God, forgive us of our sins. God, you've promised us that if we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will save us. So God, thank you for rescuing us from sin and saving us. So God, now as your children, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you. We love you, Lord. We want to sing to you, God, because you're so good. We want to sing about your love. We want to sing about you. So God, as we as we say amen, let our mouths now sing to you, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen.